From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. President Trump canceled the summit he had planned with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un on May 24th, hours after North Korea blew up tunnels at its nuclear test site in an apparent show of goodwill. But North Korea had, in the preceding days, condemned comments by Vice President Mike Pence that North Korea might end up like Libya, whose leader, Muammar Gaddafi, gave up his nuclear program, only to be attacked by the United States and killed by his own people seven years ago. Trump said North Korea's belligerent tone prompted him to cancel. To help make sense of it, I have Jenny Town, managing editor of 38 North, a website that tracks developments in North Korea, and Pat Pexton, the CQ editor following the issue. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. All right, Jenny, um, can you explain to our listeners what you do at 38 North? Um, so I am the managing editor and and producer at 38 North. So basically everything that goes um, on the site, I've gone through <laughs> um, and helped uh, edit. But you collate information from all what people are saying all over the world about right. what's going on in North Korea. You have satellite imagery that you... We try and pull all the resources that we can, especially from people that are the, the most informed, um, those that have the most access, to try and give a more nuanced view of what's happening and try and help us make sense of what we're seeing that happens around North Korea. Okay, so what are you hearing about the apparent destruction today of its nuclear test site in North Korea. Is that legitimate? Well, as far as we can tell so far, yes. But we're taking the word, of course, of North Korea's description of what happened um, and the reporters being present, but certainly not being experts in this field. So, you know, um, from what I understand, you know, some of the reporters did say that the North Koreans were very forthcoming with information when they had questions um, and, you know, were very curious to find out what they learned in that process. We can't obviously verify what happened unless they allow inspectors in um, to actually go look at the sites and to start doing some of the drilling and stuff to see if the tunnels were actually collapsed or if the tunnels were just sealed. And I think that's really the big question in terms of the permanency of this um, of this closing. Right. But combine that with the release of three Americans who were held prisoner in North Korea and the meeting between Kim Jong-un and his South Korean counterpart, those would seem to indicate an effort to build goodwill. Is that how the experts that you follow are seeing it? There's always a healthy bit of skepticism. <laughs> I think personally, yes, they were moving forward. They were putting forward diplomatic gestures that would help um, move the process along um, and help give momentum to the process to show sort of a willingness to actually talk about a denuclearization process. And certainly that um, understanding of what, of what denuclearization means has been different between the U.S. and North Korea and even South Korea's understanding of it. Um, and so that's something that we had never really gotten clarity on because the North Koreans, when they look at it, it's more of a holistic view of the security situation, whereas when the U.S. looks at it, we're very focused on the nuclear weapons. These uh, disparities um, oftentimes, you know, in the past have been real problem areas in trying to find a solution to the problem. Right. We want them to give up their nuclear weapons. And they said uh, that they're not interested in unilateral disarmament. But what are they interested in? What does North Korea get out of this? 
Well, so they are interested, you know, they always have made this contingent on eliminating the U.S. hostile policy um, or, in other words, you know, gaining security assurances. Um, but certainly there's no trust between the U.S. and North Korea, and there, there hasn't been for many years. Um, so just having security assurances on paper doesn't mean much. There's not a lot of credibility there, and especially since they have seen agreements with the United States fall apart in the past as far back as the agreed framework um, and now as recent as the Iran deal. So, you know, what they were looking for when they talk about U.S. hostile policy and eliminating the U.S. hostile policy, what they're actually asking for is really basically a fundamental change in the political relationship. So in order for them to have confidence that if they were to denuclearize, which they know the world wants, um, you know, in order for them to have confidence that they would be then secure from attack, they have to have a, a different political relationship with the world and especially with the United States. And that would have to include, you know, political, military and economic aspects, not just to be bought off. But really looking at, you know, can we get a peace treaty? Can we normalize relations? Can we stop this tit for tat back and forth? Um, stop making fun of Kim Jong-un as well as sanctions relief and, and other economic incentives. So that, again, it's a very much more holistic view of what our relationship has to be in order to give them that confidence that this is the right move. Okay, Jenny. So there has been a change in tone from the North Koreans despite this a display of goodwill. And is that just the result of them reacting to Mike Pence's comments about Libya? Um, I don't think it's so much Mike Pence himself, but really, again, the, the comments started with John Bolton as national security advisor talking about Libya. Um, and again, usually in a normal diplomatic process, you would want to have very controlled dialogue, very disciplined dialogue um, during active negotiations and, and very controlled messaging. And so it's a, it's a huge problem um, when you have, for instance, Secretary Pompeo in active negotiations trying to make progress, trying to promise things. And then you have, you know, your national security advisor basically threatening um, destruction. And so, you know, this hasn't been a normal diplomatic process. This has been a lot of political theater. Um, and it's sort of been a made-for-TV summit process that really has had really bad expectation management, really bad message management, and has been sort of, you know, undermining itself along the way. And there was some speculation that China might have had a role here, that they might have gotten to... Kim Jong-un and told him not to proceed. Do we, do we know anything about where China stands on this whole idea of a, of a summit between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un? You know, I, I don't think that China would have discouraged a meeting between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, because if anything, they have been encouraging the process. They want to be a part of it, of course, um, but they want diplomacy to happen because no one in the region wants conflict. Um, and everyone's trying to figure out how do we manage this? How do we mitigate this? How do we keep positive momentum going? Um, but I do think at the same time, Kim Jong-un, because now he has had personal relationships with world leaders, not just Moon Jae-in, but with, you know, with Xi Jinping um, and was going the leader to, of China and was right. going to meet with, you know, U.S. President Donald Trump. Um, this gives him also more confidence. Um, and so, you know, not only is he gaining confidence, um, but at the same time, you know, when the U.S. basically threatens the Libya model, of course he's going to push back. Of course the North Koreans are going to respond to that um, in an equally confrontational way. Now, Jenny, it looks to me like South Korea was left out in the cold. And uh, 
What do you think about that? How are the South Koreans feeling? You know, from what I understand, um, the the message out of Seoul is, yeah, they were caught off guard. When Moon Jae-in left here, what, yesterday? (laughs) Basically, they were still under the impression that everything was moving forward. Um, So this is a really kind of slap in the face to Moon Jae-in. Um, you know, this is our ally. We are supposed to be on the same page. Or he helped set up the meeting. And Jenny, I wanted to talk a little bit about Kim's concerns for his own rule of the country. Is there, is there any reason to think that he's at risk of the sort of era, uh, uprising that overthrew Gaddafi within his own country? What, what do we know about his, his control of the country? I I don't give much credence to those concerns. Um, you know, he has very um, skillfully consolidated power, um, and there are very strict control mechanisms in the country. Things, you know, uprisings, any kind of um, discontentment can be, you know, tamped down very quickly and very efficiently. Um, so the, these conjectures that maybe he was afraid to leave the country for too long because they were going to overthrow the regime, I think these are all, again, people projecting their own beliefs on the situation, not necessarily what the North Koreans are really thinking. So his real fear would be the United States, that we would try to take him out. If they didn't have a nuclear deterrent. Right. Okay. And Jenny, do you think that this hurts? It's a relative term in North Korea where everything is so controlled, but now Kim Jong-un is has to come back and said, oh, my God, I didn't have this summit. I mean, how does he how does he play that internally in North Korea? Well, you know, they're much better at managing the message than the U.S. is. And so, you know, the messages that have been put out to the people have been very um, tempered and very disciplined um, and have not given away too much detail to begin with. So it's not like they had huge expectations of what was to come in the summit. Pat, why don't I turn to you then? Uh, Kim may have wanted this summit, but Donald Trump also wanted it really badly. There was talk that if he could broker a deal, he'd be up for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, talk that he generated himself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see a hue and cry among the Norwegians and the Swedes to give him a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, but it's clear that he wanted this. You could Jimmy just Carter see said he might be up for one. I think Donald Trump desperately wanted this summit and desperately wants to make a deal with Kim Jong-un. I think he feels this is a a legacy matter that he could dispose of because so many presidents couldn't. And he really sees this as part of his legacy. I think he wants this very badly. I think even in the letter he sent today, well, if you change your mind, call me. Uh, Here's my number. Uh, So I think he wanted this very badly. I think we're not, I think it'll take another day or two of reporting to see uh, what was going on inside the White House. Did John Bolton really want to scuttle this from the get-go? Uh, maybe Mike Pence wanted to scuttle it from the get-go. I think we need a little more uh, in-depth. Right, but we also know Trump, Trump really abhors being embarrassed. He doesn't want to be embarrassed, and perhaps he thought that Kim would pull out and leave him in the lurch. I think that's possible. I don't know. Jenny, what do you think of that? I think it's possible, but the way the letter is worded is really interesting. You know, it's sort of this stream of consciousness This is the letter that Trump wrote to the North Koreans explaining, which really was in his own voice, it seemed. Absolutely. Um, But I think, you know, it comes across a little of, you know, that Donald Trump and the administration got their feelings hurt. Like, oh, how can you talk to us like this when we are supposed to be moving towards rapprochement? Um, Forgetting the fact that they started it (laughs) by talking about Libya. 
Uh, and I think, you know, it, it goes back to his instincts are to come across as being this strong man and to play to his domestic base and, you know, not giving anything and sort of taunting him of like, you did all this stuff, we didn't give you anything. Um, and my button's still bigger than yours. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, my button's still bigger than yours, but if you want to come back to the table, sure, no problem. Right, his nuclear button. But, the, I mean, these are two leaders who have been engaging in name-calling um, for over a year. We had, of course, Trump calling Kim Little Rocket Man, um, and we had Kim calling Trump a dotard. And so it seems uh, like their feelings, I mean, they've been hurt all along. Oh, yeah, and these are two leaders that tend to be pretty thin-skinned. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, again, in any diplomatic process, there's going to be ups and downs. And that's usually why you want, uh, you know, especially high-level negotiations to be very quiet and to be very disciplined. So, Pat, what's your take? I mean, if Trump wanted this deal so badly, it was all set up for J June 12th in Singapore, why back up? I'm a little mystified by it personally. I mean, I think Jenny's explanation about the uh, harsher rhetoric might have offended the White House peds, uh, but John Bolton's smart enough to know about North Korean propaganda that it's pretty aggressive and in your face and very condemnatory. That's nothing unusual. So I'm a little puzzled by this, perfectly, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not sure we have a full explanation. What about on the Hill? How's this playing on the Hill? I mean, we, this has created a weird situation, this whole idea of a summit where Democrats, who um, d really dislike Donald Trump, sort of want this thing to work. And Republicans don't see any chance that it would and only see embarrassment. So it's, it's kind of flipped the, the parties on this. And so how's it playing amongst Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill? Yeah, I think Democrats are genuinely disappointed that this uh, summit is not going forward. I think they would like to see uh, peace on, in Northeast Asia and have... Uh, everyone kind of get along and avoid any sort of uh, violent conflict. I think Republicans were mystified at first that there was going to be a summit, but they say, hey, this is our president, he's our guy, this is great. And then now that it's called off, well, that's fine too, because, you know, we don't really want to get in a deal with Kim Jong-un. I mean, it's, that's how it's playing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on it. Thank you, Jenny, for coming on our show. Thank you, Pat. I am Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.